Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. Today we're in 2 Thessalonians, chapter 3. I know that after chapter 2 with the coming of the Lord and the rapture and the lawless one, that chapter 3 might seem kind of like a letdown. But that's where we're at, and so we're going to do it, right? It is the longest chapter in 2 Thessalonians. It has 18 verses. So I'm going to stretch those out to an hour and a half. So hope that you guys are willing to stick around. In this chapter, he first requests prayer, Paul. It's a letter from Paul, and he's requesting prayer for those that he's writing the letter to. And it says, finally, brothers, pray for us that we, that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as it happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. So Paul starts out with finally, and he starts out just like Pastor Wood. He starts out with finally, which leads you to believe that he's ending this letter, and uh, all of a sudden the pastor gets a second wind, and he goes on for 18 verses. If the worship team came up, they'd just be setting up here for like 15, 20 minutes, right? When the pastor says finally, but he says finally pray. When he says finally, he's not talking about the end. He's talking about it's a new subject or now then. Brothers, will you pray for us? Paul asked for prayer quite a few times. Matter of fact, I looked up and seen where Paul had asked for prayer. This is an exhaustive list, but it's in Romans 15.30, 1 Corinthians 1.11, Philippians 1.10, Colossians 4.3, 1 Thessalonians 5.25, Philemon 22, and in Ephesians 6, I like the way he asks in verses 18 and 19. He says, pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me and I would open my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Paul believes in prayer. He believes that it's important. Paul knew that in some way that the success of ministry depends on prayer. His prayers and the prayers of others. Prayer is a two-way street. They've been asked by Paul to pray. Paul's prayed for others. Paul loves people. And when you love somebody, you think about them a lot. They're always on your mind. So no matter if he was far away or close, Paul was always thinking about them, and in that, he would pray for them. He'd try to visit them. He would send others to visit them. He would write letters to them, and most of all, he would pray for them. Paul was most of the most spiritually strong individual of the New Testament when we read, but in him asking them for prayer, it shows us that we should be willing to ask others for prayer. It's a good reminder That even a new believer, because the Thessalonians were relatively new in their faith, and he's asking them to pray for him. And anyone that walks in obedience has the power to tap into God's power 
through their prayer on the behalf of even the strongest representative in God's kingdom. So don't hesitate to pray for the pastors and the elders and those in leadership here at Christ Community Church. As a believer, don't ever allow yourself to be deceived by your own pride or your disbelief or by Satan that you're not able to ask God for things. So Paul asks, finally, brothers, pray for us. And what does he ask for? He asks that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. This is Paul's greatest concern, and it really should be one of ours, that the word of God would go forth. It wouldn't be hindered. It would go out. And he says, as it happened among you. In Acts 17, we can see Paul's visit to Thessalonica. And he was preaching the good news to them. And as it was his custom, he goes to the synagogue and some of them were persuaded. That means some of the Jews. And they joined Paul and Silas along with a great multitude of God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. So God writes that he wants the same thing to happen because he's in Corinth. He's writing the Thessalonians in Corinth and he's asking them that would you please pray that the good news here in Corinth would go out like it did when I preached it to you. And that's what he's asking them to pray for. We read that he's asked that the word would go out quickly and not be hindered. We know that Satan would want to hinder the word every opportunity that he, that he gets. This kind of makes you wonder, I hope, as I had wondered, that if Paul's asking them to pray that the word would go out and not be hindered, how many times has the word, has the gospel been presented at an outreach uh, over in children's ministry and it didn't do the work that God had intended it to do because we weren't praying. Because we didn't take the time to pray that God's word would be heard and would be received. God has promised that his word would perform its work. Isaiah 55, 11, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purposed and shall succeed in the things in which I sent it. But as in many things, this is a promise of God, and just as many other promises of God, we are expected to pick up this promise in faith and in prayer. We're to ask God, and we ask him to perform the promise that he's already mentioned for his glory. I don't know about you parents that might have wayward children. That means children that's not with you in church today or not attending a service anywhere else. Uh, but... Job was not invited to a party that all his kids were at, and he made sacrifices daily for his kids. So I remind God that just as Job was making sacrifices for his kids, I have a better sacrifice, and I pray for my children that the Lord would show favor upon them. I remind him of his promises, that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as it happened with you. Because the Thessalonians were living proof that this can happen. He wasn't there very long at all, maybe three Sundays, three Sabbaths, and many of them were transformed in a short time. And because the gospel was picked up from them and they believed it and they lived it, their whole region, so it'd be like our whole county, it'd be like our whole state, the whole nation, if we would pick it up and take it and it wouldn't be hindered and it would go out rapidly. Now, this wasn't just for his own behalf that he wanted them to be protected and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. 
So he's asking for the success of the message, but he, not just for his own protection, but you have to think that if the messenger is not protected, then the message won't go out. These were the words that he wanted to be listened to, God's words, the message of the gospel, that it wouldn't be hindered, and they would have an opportunity to receive it. And he's, and he's in, the, in Corinth right now. Because in Thessalonica, when he was there in Acts 17, it said that the, the Jews were jealous. They were jealous and they gathered up some wicked and evil men and they worked up the whole city. They got a mob and they went to where Paul and Silas were staying. It was at Jason's house and uh, they couldn't find him. So they got Jason and a few of the other believers and they drug him to the authorities. And when they had him at the authorities, this is what they said. They said that they shouted that these men who have turned the world upside down have come here to do it also. Wouldn't you love to have that testimony spoken about you that you were able to turn not just their city but the whole world upside down? The Jews, they, they wanted the authorities to do something about it because they said they, they preached another king other than Caesar. They could care less about Caesar. They just wanted something done with Paul because they didn't believe the gospel. It wasn't part of their beliefs and they didn't receive it. Their hearts were hard. And so they wanted something done. So Paul and Silas were sent to Berea. And then at Berea, again, others believed. The Thessalonians went to Berea to chase him down. And this pushed Paul into Athens by water. And there he also shared. And many believed. It says some believed in Athens. Wherever Paul went, he faced opposition. Men would follow him from town to town and oppose his work. And many times this makes ministry for Paul very difficult. But remember, Paul knows where these guys are coming from because that's what Paul did. And he's a changed man. God changed him. He was called on the road to Damascus. Remember Ananias when he was, God spoke to him and said, hey, go, go pray for Paul. And he says, hey, uh, hey dad, uh, you know... Uh, you know, God, uh, this guy's killing us. That's what he came here for. And he said, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Paul didn't know exactly how that was going to be done. Neither did Ananias, but we can read in Acts and we can see that that happened. Thank the Lord for uh, Paul receiving Christ on the road to Damascus. I wonder what God's called some of you to do. Paul wanted God to save these men that were being such a pain to his ministry. He wanted them to save them. And if they weren't going to be delivered, if they weren't going to receive the gospel, that he would remove them. Because there are men without faith. Uh, so he asked for prayer. And he ex explains to him what he wants them to pray for. And then we get to verse 3 through 5. He transitions from asking for them to pray to actually praying more for them. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against evil ones. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you, what you are doing and will do the things that we commanded. May the Lord direct your heart to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Even if all men aren't faithful, Paul knows and you know that God is faithful. I pray that you know God's faithful. So... Listen, if I read two into three, it says, And that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. 
there is wicked and unfaithful men, and we know that. And Paul has confidence, not just in himself, but in them, the Thessalonians, following through uh, because the Lord is faithful. He who has called you is faithful, he says in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.24. And the Thessalonians knew God was faithful because they faced persecution. So they knew there was evil men. God's promise that he has Satan on a leash. Sometimes we can't see that. He prays that we won't be tempted beyond what we can bear and that Satan's not able to do whatever he wants to. Uh, We remember Job. Satan even had to ask God if he could have Job. And then God kept Satan from going too far. It didn't seem like it many times when you're reading Job, but he kept him to where Job still stayed faithful and could handle it. Ephesians 3.16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Same, same uh, book, 6.16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith that which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. I know sometimes we think of flaming darts and the shield, but we're not really sometimes understanding what Satan wants in your life. He doesn't just want to shoot a dart or an arrow at you so you hurt or you say, ouch. He really wants to just take you out. He can't stand your presence. Whenever you have the Holy Spirit in you, he can't stand it. It's, it, it he hates just the thought of you being able to speak to somebody else about the Lord. In verse 4, we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we commanded you. This means that we're protected as we submit and surrender to, and we place our trust in the Lord, the truth of his word. We have a part to play in our own protection from the evil one, and and we need to take up that. What that means is we have to follow what he's asked us to do if we want the evil one not to be able to hinder us. God doesn't just pour spiritual maturity into people. Maturity and stability into your life comes when he works it in you and through you. And we have to cooperate with his will and, and not our own. And we like to lean on our own understanding. Verse 5. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. The patience that we have comes from God. And the Lord needs to direct our hearts. He needs to lead us. And we need to be led. Understanding more about the love of God and and the vastness of it helps us become more patient. It helps us to even obey God's truth, even though we know it's true. The more we understand about his love as we go through things, as we go through trials, and we know that he's faithful, it gives us the ability to grow and to believe and endure hardships. So that you may have peace. In this world, he says that you're going to have troubles. You will have troubles. But take heart. I've overcome the world. That's in John 16, 33. That's why he says, I've told you these things. Love and patience. This ability to endure. This ability to complete or finish the race. Verse 6 
through 15, we come to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And this is a warning against idleness, uh, laziness, as some versions might say. Disorderly, some might say. You could actually put a subtitle on this one as even uh, work, a Christian's duty. Now, the job of Christians is to glorify God. It is the purpose of our lives uh, as believers. And there's so many different opinions on how we should do that or go about it and how we should glorify God. But if you're called by God, if you're a believer in God and you're following his truth, you're glorifying God in what you do. Verse 6, now we command you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking, walking in idleness and not in accordance with the traditions that you receive from us. Verse 7, for you yourself know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we did not have the right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. Verse 10, for even when we were with you, we would give you this commandment. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you are walking in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such people we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and earn their own living. Verse 13, as for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. So as a Christian, I don't know if you've ever thought of your work as a duty to Christ. Most people probably think about work as something that they just have to do, something that they don't look forward to. It's no matter if you're an employee, if you own a business, if you run a household. Most just look at it as something that I have to do, something that I don't want to do, but it's something that I have to do. Many look at work as a way just to make money, to pay the bills, uh, to keep my lifestyle. We're all probably seen as you cruise around, and I hope I didn't look in the parking lot before I came up here, but uh, the bumper stickers that talk negatively about work. Oh, I owe, oh, I owe, oh, off to work I go. Uh, how about uh, the one I'd rather be golfing, I'd rather be in the desert, I'd rather be fishing, I'd rather be anything but work, right? Uh, how about uh, he who wins with the most toys? He who, he who has the most toys wins, Right? Probably see that on the back of BMW. In our culture, most of us see work as just a simple way to finance our pleasures. We would rather be at play than work. Work is just a way to pay off our debts. I've got a couple more bumper stickers for you. Uh, work fascinates me. I can sit and watch it all day. I think you have all seen TGIF, right? Thank God it's Friday. And how about this one? Hard work. May not kill me, but why take a chance? <laughs> In general, our culture has a warped sense of work. But that's because most of us are self-indulgent, materialistic, and immature. That means that we make decisions uh, not as an adult but as adolescents. Uh, you, we were supposed to grow out of that at some time. You know when your voice changed? Anyways. 
So anyone who claims to be a Christian but doesn't but walks in idleness is not according to the teaching of God's word. You that are working and are not idle, you're supposed to stay away from them. And this is a commandment. It's repeated in verse 14. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. There's a purpose that we have nothing to do with him because it says not as an enemy but as a brother. He says, take note of this person. Work is a gift from God. It is not some kind of substandard, secondary, lesser activity that we just have to do. Work in itself is a gift from God. I I know our work should mostly be done in order to glorify God because it's a gift from him. It provides value and fulfillment in our lives. Matter of fact, work keeps us from being idle. And you know what they say about idle hands being the devil's workshop. We need to work to sustain our life and you don't work, Paul says you shouldn't eat. We work to serve others. Our work also helps others. It enables others to have a lifestyle and have well-being. Uh, just an analogy, right? One of my really good friends that serves here at Christ Community Church, he sells cars. And so I thought about uh, somebody came up with a concept about a car. So somebody has to make the parts so some other people can build the car. And then some people ship the car and some people sell the car. And then after they sell the car, some people service the car and oil and tires and floor mats and bumper stickers. So each job has an impact on somebody else. And then if there's a bunch of cars, somebody got to have a place to plug them in or fill them up or drive them somewhere, right, and keep the roads repaired. I wish they'd do more of that, but it's good that they're doing it, right? We work to serve one another. Our work serves a purpose. I know that some of you are going to say that work happened because of the curse, and but did it. So let's take a look at Genesis real quick, 317. And God said to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, now that's not always a bad thing, but when you put that before God's word, it's a bad thing, okay? And have eaten the, from the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Curse is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Curse the ground. Look at Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. That's before the curse. So he had worked before the fall. God designed men. Some say God designed men as a gardener. And because of the curse, they became farmers. 126. When God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, 27. So God created man in his image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female. He created them. So that's verse 26 and 27. But the part in between there says, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Man's given dominion. He's given authority. He's given rule, responsibility over the creation. And I don't know if you've been in charge. That takes work. And I think sometimes this is kind of why men say, go ask your mom, because they don't want to be responsible. They want the authority, but they don't want to be responsible, right? I'd like to continue with that, but that's a whole nother message. Genesis 2.15, work and keep it, he tells them, work and keep it. But because of the curse, his work intensified. Because of the fall, Work became a burden, but it's a part of what we do. It's part of punishment that we have to work hard, just like childbearing is painful. Before the fall, Adam was to tend, to work the garden. 
And you can bet that before the fall, there was going to be kids. Just hadn't happened yet. But having a baby, even with the pain involved, is still a joy. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the cccivy.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.